What up, what up, what up? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we are back again. This is the Cross the Intersection podcast. I am in here with the full squad. This is AJ, Eve, and A Swish riding shoddy. Yo, yo, yo. As always, you can connect with us on Dive Media. That's divemedia.co, where you can go to our website, check out all the podcasts, articles that are written, anything you want to watch or listen to. We are also everywhere podcasts are ingested. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all of them. And now, for and if you're listening to this and you are on YouTube, welcome. We're on YouTube. Please yes. click that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. So when your boy, after slaving from job number one, comes up here and posts a <laughs> podcast, you get notified. We keeping it live in the 2020 and not getting censored. So please, check us out on YouTube as well. Dive Media. This is Dive Media. So, as always, you can hit me up personally on the socials. I am at Divinimous, D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S. And hit me up on Twitter, at E to the V to the... Is that what it is? E yeah. to the V to the? Or what am I? I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. E to the V to the... Okay, cool. You never told me why you took off that last E because it used to be E to the V to the E, and then you that's took because off. That's because some people call. <laughs> that's because some people call me Eva, and other people call me Eve. So ah, I just stuck with the first two letters. Nice. Okay. I see. <laughs> Depending you on when you met me and what part of life I was in at the time. <laughs> okay. 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 Interesting. I, I I never I never knew that. But anyway. All right. Yeah. 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 So we are in here. We are in here like swimwear. What's going on, lady and gent? Um. If you've been under a rock um, or been under a boulder, um, it's been a rough, it's been, it's been a last rough couple of weeks for some people. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we're just going to do a little quick, quick, you know, oh, honor and, and, and oh to the Kobe Bean Bryant. Um, brother went down in a helicopter accident um, with he and his 13 year old daughter. Um, and there were also seven other people on the, on the uh, helicopter, so I just want to definitely give a shout out to that. Sometimes we get, you know, this celebrity culture in the U.S. We kind of act like the, you know, the normal populace doesn't really exist, right? <laughs> the the peons don't exist, but there were also seven other people on that helicopter who passed away. So it's pretty rough. I actually just went back this morning and looked at um Shaq's. Uh, when Shaq was being asked about it, because you know he and Kobe played together oh, for like yeah. eight or nine years, and he broke down crying. It was, it was pretty, it's pretty rough. Sometimes, I think sometimes men don't know how to deal with emotions, and so they just you know like uh, should I should I cry or should I you know sometimes you kind of see guys when they're going through a, a situation and you you know it looks like they don't know how to deal with their emotions. Yeah, and it's also just by contrast because a lot of times people don't deal with their emotions. We're not used to seeing a giant, which is basically what. Shaq is crying like you know we're not for some reason we we contrast emotion with the physical with the physicality of someone you know but that's just physicality it has nothing to do with intangibles like emotion uh trauma what's going on mentally it's just a body and so yeah even for me it looked it looked different the way that Shaq was you know choking up like that but it was also um it showed his humanity yeah, no doubt. That was good. It 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 showed his um humanity. You know, for me it was kind of a uh surreal experience cuz when I found out that uh Kobe actually passed away, he and his daughter passed away, 
I was actually hanging out with my oldest daughter. And, um, you know, Kobe and I are about the same age. And his daughter, which is his second daughter, Gianna, is about the same age as my oldest daughter. So it was it was a little surreal. So I'm sitting there with my daughter who just turned 14. My daughter just turned 14 in January. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right. So Kobe and I are the same age. Um, and I'm sitting there with my oldest daughter who is a little bit older than his second daughter. And we're like, we were actually in this little uh, Caribbean bakery down in uh, Northwest. And where they got the news playing. And I'm like, Kobe just died? I'm like, oh my goodness. And she's like, Dad, isn't that Kobe Bryant? Like, yes, Kobe Bryant, right? And so, it, I mean, it was kind of like a, a a blow, like, oh man, Kobe died. Oh man, you know, you just kind of keep it pushing. I'm not one to get all caught up. You know, I was talking to people. I had a friend of mine call me and he was like, yo, I'm really struggling with this Kobe thing. And I was like, you are? I'm like, you, do you know Kobe? Nah, but you know, I was like, man, you know, people die. I mean, it's, it's a part of life, but relax. But for me, what, what hit different, like I said, was just because when I found out he was, was with his daughter and I found out that he was with his daughter as I was out hanging out with my daughter. So we were kind of sitting there in this bakery. It's kind of a restaurant slash bakery. You know how the Caribbeans do. Every, it's like, it's like an all in one joint. Um, <laughs> for all of my Caribbeans out there, you, you know how we do. Um, and we're looking up at the TV and I see his daughter. And so I just kind of was looking at my daughter and it just kind of hit, it hit a little different for me. I was like, man, he was with his daughter who was the same age as my daughter. And it was just kind of like, wow. Like for me, it, it kind of hit, you know, a little different. So her and I, it, it, it was really good to open up just a kind of a quick little dialogue with me and my daughter. Cause I try to make it a point to hang out with her just on the one-on-one and she's getting older now. So we try to just, you know, kind of get it in on the daddy and daughter. And uh, so it, it was just cool to have a little dialogue with her just about that whole situation with Kobe and and his daughter. It was just kind of really um, cool for me. It's always surprising to me the way that we, and that personally, the way I respond when a celebrity passes. Um, in your situation, to you, it was like, it's sad, but but you you kept it pushing for the most part. For me, I felt my myself being impacted. First of all, it was all of a sudden, you know, and I received a text uh, saying that that's what happened. And I literally did not believe it. I thought it was probably, you know, quote unquote, fake news um, until I looked it up. And I, I had to think about why certain celebrity, um, certain celebrity deaths impact me a certain way. And I think it's really important that we understand that when there's a celebrity that's literally been in your life, even from a distance for half of your life, you know, they, they're actually a part of your life in a certain way. And I don't think that that should be discounted. Uh, we can't really articulate it, but when your exposure to somebody has lasted for half or more of your life, then, um, then you know, they're a part of you in some way. Um, but also I was thinking uh, for, as a person who really loved her father, I was really thinking about what it might've been like in that helicopter in the last few minutes, like when they knew the helicopter was going down and it made me a little bit emotional thinking about, you know, what if it had been me and my dad in that helicopter? And uh, something I found out uh, personally was that if that were me at that age and my dad in a helicopter that was going down, I would have felt sad that the world was about to lose my dad. I wouldn't have thought about myself (laughs) and and teenagehood is self-centered, but because of, you know, my, affection as a daughter for her father, 
um, I would have been sad and tried to protect him. But AJ, on your from your perspective, you know, did you think when you were when you were thinking about this, did you think about how you would have responded if it was you and your daughter in that helicopter? Yeah, I mean, as a father, my my mentality, I, you, like one of the things that you do and or you should do, I'll say I'm, I'm not gonna say all fathers do this, but I think that one thing that you should do is you have to become, you know, the epitome of selflessness. And so, you know, for me, what I would have probably had to do is fight my own fear to be able to be a comfort to my daughter. Um, you kind of because listen, you if you know you're in a helicopter, you know you're gonna crash. You know it's about to be a wrap. You're gonna have anxiety. You know, I'm not I'm 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 not so super religious that I won't think that I wouldn't have anxiety. Like yo, this thing is going down. But I would you know in my mind because I've had this happen you know with my kids in different circumstances. You got to immediately pivot and think about your children. And so just for me, I probably would have been like, all right, I got a woosah all of what's going on internally and make sure that my daughter's last moments on this planet are not ones filled with terror and fear. And so I I would have done my best to to try to comfort her, you know, d- despite being, you know, deathly afraid. Um the closest thing that I can probably have and it's I mean it's not even in the same stratosphere, but my kids and I we were on like this little uh like a I don't know what it's like, not safari, but like a nature thing or whatever. We were down in Florida and they take you down where the alligators are. I, I don't know what it's kind of called, a little walk in the bayou or whatever. And I mean, there were big, huge alligators everywhere. I mean, like, you know, I'm like, this is like, this is for me the close thing to Jurassic Park. And, you know, I'm like, yo, these jokers are huge. And so you got your own anxiety going on. Cause I'm like, yo, if one of these alligators get buck in here, I may have to, you know, but I see my kids like thinking the same things, like, yo, what's going on? And I'm like, all right, I gotta immediately bring bring it all in, you know, bring all of what's going on internally here and move right into all right, guys, it, it'll be fine. You know, God got us, come on, and we trust the tour guy, come on, relax. And you see them calming down. I'm like, all right, they're calming down. And so sometimes, honestly, I'm still surprised sometimes how my words impact my kids because they're just like, all right, Dad, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. And I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm inside. I'm still tripping, but you know, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be fine. So I think, you know, I, I don't know what Kobe did. Of course, only, only the Lord knows. But I would just think, you know, as dedicated as a father as you've seen, just from some of the testimonies that people have given. You know, I believe that it that would have been something that he could have, you know, done for his daughter, you know, in, in her last moments here on the on the earth. So, yeah. Oh, man. But, you know, you know, one thing about this whole Kobe thing and we're, we're not going to hear talk to talk about Kobe all day, folks. But, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen recently um, your girl, Gail King, getting dragged. Um, <laughs> your girl, Gail King, getting dragged because um she she was going she had a particular motive and i and i know she had a particular motive because she gets paid by CBS which is a news organization which you know one of the jobs of the media is to paint narratives so i i get it and i think what makes people like Gail disingenuous is that they just won't admit that they have an agenda just say you know what well, look we have an agenda and we're going to stick to our agenda but whatever she has an agenda but one thing that she did say that i believe is truthful that a lot of people are going to try to admit like it's not truthful and um, is that Kobe 
was a very complex character and his legacy is very complicated. I think that's a very truthful statement, right? Um, people want to just focus on all the good. And I understand right now the the wound is really fresh. And so you want to kind of let people have their times to grieve. And I think if she would have just left it there, just say, hey, you know, Kobe's a complex character. His legacy is going to be a little complex based on all of the various aspects of his life. And just kind of, you know, left it there. I think um, it wouldn't have been let's cancel Gail, you know, let's let's drag Gail. <laughs> you know how Twitter can get, you know, Twitter Twitter can get a little rough. You know, these uh, black Twitter streets can get a little rough. So, you know what? Snoop Dogg cursing her out. Oh, Jesus. That's a that's a whole nother thing. I'm like, Snoop, be quiet. Honestly, I'm like, Snoop, be quiet. I felt embarrassed, I felt embarrassed for him when, you know, he's 50, he's almost 50 years old, you know, and, and you and calling her names that, you know, people would call on a school playground. I, I thought that was important. Yeah. You know, something that, that Chuck D said years ago that I think is just still so apropos about hip hop, it's just an aside that it, it extends the adolescence of, 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 of black men and, you know, from 18 to 35 or whatever it was. It's just like Snoop, you're acting like an adolescent, you know, Snoop is probably 55 years old and no, know, he's 48, but you know, he's, he's only 48. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow he's only 48, but either way. Wow. I thought he was over 50. Um, him outside of her name and, and, you know, veiled threats and stuff. I, I was a little, I think it was emotional, but you know, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. Calvin bro, this got to chill out, bro. Got to chill out, bro. But speaking, speaking to uh, just the, the complexity of just who Kobe was and some of the things that you know he may may or may not have been into, um, I think that in and of itself was a you know was a was a was a truthful statement, and um, I think she should have just left it there, as opposed to trying um, to you know go on her agenda. Yeah, yeah. Some of the things um, <clears throat> that I, I just thought that I bring up a little bit about uh, what Kobe was into was his. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people, they just kind of look at it as a basketball player. And so uh, um, I want to talk about why Kobe had picked the Black Mamba, or at least what the Black Mamba represented. And um, by the way, before you say that, too, it's very important people know he chose that name. You know, normally somebody else calls you a little nickname. But Kobe is one of the few people who picked his own nickname. So I don't know if people realize that he picked the Black Mamba. But go ahead. Yeah, he he. Well, yeah, that that was uh that was his, one of the plans to rebrand himself after the uh the whole rape allegations, and <clears throat> at any rate, at any rate, um, you know, he changed his number and then he started calling himself the Black Mamba, uh, and at face value, he said he says that um he picked the Black Mamba because that was a a a reference to the way in which somebody had died and killed Bill was through the use of a black mamba so he said he liked it and he went with it however if you kind of investigate kobe a little bit further you see that there's more to the story than that um and i know it's kind of hard to see because it's a podcast but um the whole thing about the black mamba really kind of represented the ouroboros or conquering the ouroboros and the Ouroboros means uh, it's the snake, it's a symbol of the snake eating, eating its own tail. It's also uh, the infinity sign. And the infinity sign is a, is actually a figure eight 
of a snake eating its own tail. Um, but anyway, anyway, uh, the how you can kind of tell that that's what Kobe was into was because, um, well, one of the clues <laughs> is the name of his production studio, which is called Granity Studios. Granity, that's uh, like uh, G-R-A. N-I-T-Y. And if you go to GranityStudios.com, there's a letter on the homepage that the employees of the company had put up uh, in reference to Kobe um, because he passed away. And one of the things that it says is Granity is a word Kobe created that is a combination of greater than infinity. How very Kobe. And so... Um, if you look at the logo of Granity Studios, it's it's the infinity uh, sign. Uh, in addition to, if you, even if you think of the number eight that Kobe used to wear, uh, that was um, that that again infinity sign. And so I wanted to just kind of point that out that he wasn't just picking that kind of thing just because it was cute. It was something that he uh, wanted to embody, and that is uh, conquering infinity. And specifically, the Ouroboros refer and the snake eating its own tail represents. Um, and I'm reading this from Mythologian.net. Uh, it simply represents the recreation of life through death by the universe. It is interpreted as some kind of a rebirth of the dead, reaching an immortality of sorts. Therefore, it is assumed that the infinity symbol was derived from the original symbol of Ouroboros. Um, and so, um, him dying, uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, there's a certain lionization that is coming, uh, about him and he is being, um, in, in certain circles, uh, deified and yeah. lionized yeah, yeah, even yeah. more. Uh, and so him and his daughter are now ascending into this certain plateau of mind space in a lot of society, um, so there's a there's a, there's a there is a a, a big narrative um, that is that is definitely a, a a foot or about. So Avery, you said that that's what it's what he's about. I don't I don't know. I guess I need a little more clarification on that. You're saying infinity is what he's about. Um, what, yeah. what does that mean? And how and and how does the concept of infinity put him in a in an ideological category? And is that ideological category unbiblical? Like, what, what's the significance of that? A lot of people believe in infinity. They believe in the fact that human beings never die. Um, you know, we might die in this lifespan, but, you know, we, we're, our consciousness is ongoing. So, so what, what's the significance of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so one of the things that I will point out is that the significance of, of, of this and what he was what he was about from what it is that I can gather is again, the idea of conquering uh, infinity or being able to conquer uh, death uh, to be able to turn um, like there's a, a, the, a reference to alchemy, being able to turn lead into gold. And I know you've read the book, I have not, um, but I am a little bit familiar with the terminology and that is um, being able to uh, transcend your situation, which is a good thing, uh, being able to do that. Um, but there are limits to it. And what 
Kobe, from what it is that I can gather, uh, believed is that there are no limits to it. Um, you could pretty much do anything that you want to do. The universe will bend to your your liking. Not unsimilar to Will Smith and what Will Smith uh, talks about a lot. And so my view behind that and the biblical accuracy of that is uh, or whether or not that's, that's, that's accurate. My view behind that is that there are certain things that we can do, but uh, we are vessels that are created for a purpose and a, and a, and a divine purpose. Um, we don't necessarily write the script, which is a little bit different um, than from what I can gather, this belief system. Uh, we uh, are subjected to our Heavenly Father. We have to put our faith um, into our Heavenly Father. Um, there are certain stipulations that we abide by. Um, it's not necessarily just about doing anything that we want to do. Uh, all yeah, those I mean, things. I think where he, mm-hmm. God, God limits us purposefully. You know what I mean, I mm-hmm. think you, you see that in the Tower of Babel. I think God, you know, purposefully mm-hmm. limits us because at our core, we still have the propensity to be so unrighteous that if we were not limited by weakness or illness or sickness or any other limitation, I think that, you know, the the bounds of what we would do in the name of unrighteousness is probably unspeakable. Um, but you, you know, you you mentioned a, a, a point there a, about, you know, like what Kobe was into and what even, you know, Will Smith, because I have seen some of Will's posts. And, yeah. you know, I want to kind of throw this out, you know, for those, you know, who are listening, who claim faith in Christ. And it's, we see these people, you know, throughout their careers and we clearly see them doing, saying, and operating in things that some folks may be scared to just call it what it is, but it's like it's it's clearly anti-Christ um, to a certain degree. You hear people talk about the universe. You hear people talk about nature in mm-hmm. in, a, in, in, a, in a sort of deified way. Um, and then when they die, and then when they happen to pass away, it's all this, oh, well, God got one of his angels back. You know, it's kind of like, yo, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus going to welcome them home. Jesus at the gate, welcome them home. And it's like, nah, fam, the Lord said that if your father's not in heaven, your father's the devil. Now, I hate to say stuff like that. I hate to be that guy because there may be somebody still grieving. There may be p- people in your family may have died. But I think sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow when you know a person has lived a particular life. And then they end up dying like we all will end up dying. And so I think we have to I'm not saying go one way or the other, but I think we need to be a little bit more tempered with the whole Jesus welcome him home into his kingdom. You know, let's be tempered with that, because in our heart of hearts, we know how certain people may have lived their lives. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And and Kobe, um, you know, yeah, Kobe, Kobe, he he celebrated. Um, or took a lot of uh, the basically basically. <laughs> I'm messing with Eva. He viewed he viewed um, life and death as the same. Yeah. Um, they were all important. They're all apart, which is true. Which is true. However, uh, I would venture to say um, I know that Kobe practiced something called a muse cage. Right. Which he talks about um, that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about this muse cage, which is taking all the things. He talks about negative, negative inspiration and taking all the things that you hate, the things in which that you hate and channel all those things, channel your hate to uh, to to improve yourself. 
and to change your situation, which is a, a, a <laughs> not necessarily something that we're that is uh, promoted by our Heavenly Father per se. I think part of the reason, though, that people uh, would you know cause it's a, they would put Kobe in a category of 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 heavenly, and you know they maybe they would assume that he's at the St. Peter's gates and, you know, all the things that are mentioned in Saint scripture Peter's gates. about, yeah, it is. yeah, you know, the things mentioned in scripture about what happens after you die is because of the narrative that on his way to the helicopter, Kobe stopped by uh, his parish. And uh, it, I think that some people would see that as a, as a, as a contrast where you have a man who is a Catholic, like a couple of million African-Americans are, but then, uh, would practice some of the things that A was just talking about. Uh, but I think people found hope <laughs> in the idea that he had a conversation with, with his priest who over the years would have taught him what the scripture, because believe it or not, in Catholic churches, they, churches, they actually do preach the scripture, uh, whether we believe in their interpretation or not. But, you know, you have someone who, whose priest spoke to him and, and other members of the parish about what's expected after one dies and about the afterlife. And this is the same man that Kobe supposedly visited on his way to that helicopter. Uh, so maybe, you know, some people found hope in that and, and thought that he might be with the God of, of the same Bible that his priest pre preached to him. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, just as we come around third base with this, I, you know, I... <sighs> Listen, I <laughs> listen. I <laughs> even try to give the, the the glass half full. Hey, listen, I appreciate it. No, because I think we, you know, shouldn't be too negative nor too positive when it's particularly when it's times of grief. I know that there are people who knew Kobe personally who are grieving, and that's a real thing. And tangentially, there may be people who could identify with this situation and are also grieving. Okay, bet. But I think that just in our grief, we still try to, you know, have to try to remain a little sober. And what I mean by that is, so let's not go too far into the Gail King arena and go all super negative. Oh, he did this and did that. Yo, this ain't the time for that. But I think conversely, A brings up very good points that let's not be too overly kumbaya-ish and talking about Kobe prancing through the pearly gates. We know the life he was living, so we got to just be balanced. We, you know, we gotta. He doing a moonwalk through the pearly gates. You know, say, let's let's be a little balanced, ladies and gentlemen. I think that we can't put our. It's like you know we we want to kind of put our spiritual prowess on pause when things happen. It's like no, I still keep my antennas up. Like I know that his stuff was going on that, and then he may have been into stuff, especially kind of in the circles that he was running. You know, listen, he was running in certain circles that the average Joe is not running and we just need to, you know, keep that in its proper perspective. So... All right, so we're back. Um, and just in, you know, with talking Kobe and just remaining balanced, you know, not going too far to the left or to the right. You know, one of the things that was admirable about um, Kobe and just the persona that, that he put off was it was, he was a very, you know, at least the perception. Again, I don't know Kobe personally, but the perception was that he was a very good father, 
that he was a very involved father, even to even down to the reason why he was taking helicopters. You know, they they live up in the hills of Calabasas. And I remember an interview, um, Kobe was being interviewed years ago when he was saying why he took the helicopter. He was saying, you know, when he would drive to practice or to shoot around or whatever, it would be like two hours. It would take him almost two hours to get home to and from the arena. And he said, you know, in sitting in all that traffic, he was missing, you know, kids events and picking them up from school. He was just missing a lot of stuff because it would be four hours out of his day every day um, driving down to the arena. So he was just trying to find faster ways to get to and from home so that he could be more present with his children. And um, he said he found this private helicopter service. And so he said, you know what? We'll start taking helicopters. And so he was doing, he's been doing that for years. You know, this is not anything recent, but Kobe's been taking helicopters to and from games and practices for years um, I think it's like a 30-minute ride, 20-minute ride. It's a really, really quick helicopter ride, um, and, and he can get down, do what he has to do, and get back home and still pick up his kids from school and go to their events and stuff like that. So I thought that that's just a really dope, you know I mean? Of course, you, you got to have the kind of money to do that, but even men with that kind of money, a lot of them would not think to do that. And so it's very admirable. And so what we kind of wanted to transition to, because one of the things that I actually – People think they're doing it in a nice way, but it seems a little patronizing when they say, oh, you know, yeah, he's gets such a good representation of black fatherhood. You know, it's just and like like there's this terrible picture of black fatherhood out here. And I'm, and then you realize, OK, we're still, you know, shucking and jiving down this old narrative that African-American fathers are the worst, right? That that African-American fathers are just the worst. And so there's this one, you know, shining Negro who's a great father. Look at, at Kobe Bryant. And I think that, you know, 2020, we, we have to put that narrative to to bed. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, like, I think that it, it, it still stems from that old CDC it was a CDC study done. God, what, what year was that thing done? Are but, you talking about the one from 2014 around that time, or are you talking about something earlier? Let me see. When was that? Because I was looking it up earlier. I'm sorry. I, I, should, I, should, I should have had this well, thing pulled up. I do want to make a contrast. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is, this is pretty, this kind of will explain a bit of where the narrative may have come from. Because earlier in American history, of course, we were enslaved. In fact, we were enslaved for longer than we've been, quote unquote, free. But after that, uh, African-Americans had very robust family lives, just like Americans in general. But then a decline took place around the 70s uh, in terms of the involvement of fathers, mainly because uh, divorce rates started to increase. Now, I think that the narrative of the negative uh, image of Black fathers came really as a narrative of poverty, because the Moynihan Report, uh, which happened at the very beginning of our lives, lifespans, um, was really about the fact that poverty-stricken Black women who wanted government subsidies um, could not have husbands in the household, because those husbands will have contributed to the amount of money that was being made, and therefore preclude them from receiving those uh, government um, benefits. And as a result, 
uh, there a, a rift between uh, fathers and mothers happened where fathers couldn't be in the household. And I think that I think it's a it's a it's a bad thing um, for our public relations when issues of poverty is superimposed on all of us. Just numerically, most of us do not fall below the poverty line, but for some reason, the image that our country gives of black folks in poverty is give is, is you know uh, paints us all with a broad brush, and I think that's where that came from. But the CDC study, uh, the more recent one that said that black fathers are actually the most involved, uh, it's really interesting that that study's been around for almost a decade. But the image of bad black fathers persists. Well, because what what it is, and I, I had to pull it up. Is um, yeah, it's from December twenty thirteen. Um, it's such a a misrepresentation of what the study actually says. You know, people will will take the fact that the thing says seventy percent of the babies are born to unmarried mothers. And so we take that misrepresentation. Now, that's a different discussion. I think we should be getting married more because you can find, statistically speaking, that we have a much more stronger financial footing. Married couples do. You can go read, yeah. you, you can go read all the different stats that talk about that. So that's a different discussion. And we can have that discussion where African-Americans should be getting married in higher numbers just to, you know, we, we talk about all this financial stuff, but we don't realize that we're shooting ourselves in the foot with all these families that are unmarried. But anyway, this particular study where it says that 70% of the children are born to unmarried mothers, people take that as a misinterpretation like the father's then not around. They just happen to not be married. And so going into your point that you just made about the study says that African-American fathers are actually one of the most active in the lives of their children. Not one of, not one of. The study actually says African-American fathers are the most active and involved in their children's lives, whether they are under the same roof as the child or not, compared to non-Black Latino fathers, compared to white fathers, Asian fathers, and Native American fathers. I was reading a couple of scholarly articles, one in the Journal of Marriage and the Family, and they were talking about how these studies are actually very disingenuous because there aren't very many studies done specifically on African-American family, African-American fatherhood or motherhood. They're like there just is not enough scholarly research. So when people kind of throw out these blanket statements, they're basing it off one or two pieces of information. There aren't, you know, there, there, there's not a plethora of research that's, that's even done. No one has the interest to even do this kind of research um, in in depth, so I, I thought that that was very interesting, and I thought that the the point that you made, Eva, as well, um, that how people paint African Americans with, with a very broad brush because they they said the same thing that when you go up the economic spectrum, the interactions change because of course if you're not dealing with oppression and financial hardship and you know. Uh, the prison complex if you're and you know if if you're not having to deal with all those external stressors of course your interaction with your children and your family may be a little bit more enriched because now you have more time more energy and you can focus more on what they're doing because you're not working three jobs or you know mm-hmm. you're not having to do all of these other things to to make ends meet so i think painting Painting people with a broad brush, of course, is also a, a mistake. Because another study that I was reading um, in the APA, they, you know, 
what's his name said this recently? What's the guy? Tyler, the creator at the Grammys. Um, mm-hmm. American, by the way, the American Psychological Association is APA. Um, the word urban, they throw that word urban in there as a substitute. And I think he was mentioning it how at, at the Grammys that he's saying like urban's the new N word or something like that. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but you see this this word urban thrown around a lot and as a substitute rather than just saying black or African-American, but that's neither here nor there. But this, this um, article also said that we need to reframe the discussion. We need to reframe the discussion because again, once you go across the economic spectrum, we just assume all black folks are poor and live in the hood and live in the ghetto. So yeah, if you take a microscope on that one small speck of the populace, yes, the the stats might be pretty damning. But if you widen your lens and realize everybody who's African-American doesn't live in the hood or in the ghetto or whatever, no shade to anybody who might live in a in a hood. I'm just I'm just saying then you realize the stats would change and then. Once people begin to realize that, I want to really go back to the narrative, this narrative that African-American fathers are not involved, are not in their children's lives, are not there. You know, everybody's got an absentee father. I think that that is based on a lot of misinterpreted information. And I, I think some of that is purposeful. Think, you mm-hmm. know, people are purposefully misinterpreting information to continue to perpetuate this this narrative. Yeah, it's really important um, that as a group of people, we have a deliberate framing of the type of image that we want to have, not just in this country, but globally. And so personally, there's certain things I don't even speak on publicly that uh, are negative complaints that sometimes our own people have against ourselves because that's said too much reason to make that contribution to a conversation that's already bustling. So So it's like, what about just going out and being pie in the sky or, or, or thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but just that we have to decide what type of image we want to put out there? Uh, yeah, I would go so far as to say that the, uh, the appreciation for fatherhood in general has uh, gone down the toilet uh, in this country. Yeah. When you have terms like the patriarchy, which basically means... Uh, I mean, people say that's the man in charge, but who is the man in charge except for when you boil that down, that's the man of the house. That's the man in the house. And so when mothers are, uh, and we know Mother's Day is uh, celebrated as if it's a national holiday. Uh, Whereas Father's Day, people don't even know when that is, you know? Um, And you have cards that's, what's that? It's unfortunate. It's, it's, it's amazing. I notice it all the time and it's terrible. Yeah, we have these cards that say, um, I mean, I remember I was in, I heard somebody say from a pulpit at one point, it was uh, Father's Day. And he said, turn around, say happy father. All, all the men turn around, say happy Father's Day. And he said, all the women all turn around, say happy Father's Day, like for, like to the women, you know, or to the, to the mothers, as if the mothers are fathers too. Um, there's this view uh, that um, men are uh, irrelevant and uh, are the arbiters of everything that's wrong uh, with society. And so so I think that naturally, naturally, uh, the role of the father uh, is going to be, is not going to be appreciated. Um, we have this movement that goes on that says uh, that 
God is a woman, a black woman at that. And so what does that make the man except for her child and her creation? Um, By the way, lot. just on a side mm-hmm. note, most of these dudes that be, most of these dudes, I, and, and listen, I, I'm not throwing shade, but most of these people that are like, yeah, black women this, the black women is angels, they, they, they're goddesses. Most of them don't date black women. Most of them not married to black women. I'm just like, yo, uh, what are you talking about? I've seen that, like Mark Lamont Hill. I know yeah. I'm name dropping. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, drop some Van that... Jones. I mean, drop some name. Let's yeah, let's, let's yeah, go ahead and piss know, some people yeah. off. Mark Lamont Hill isn't married, so I don't know what, what y'all are referring to. Well, whoever he's with, unless he changed it in the past two days, a lot of these people. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of the loudest people. A lot of the yeah. loudest, a lot most of the loudest artists, people. Yeah, most Beyonce formation type people. Um, yeah, they, um, they don't, you know, you, you know what they say, they don't necessarily, uh, sleep what they preach. So, uh, I, I agree with that. Um, but, but anyway, I think that there's a, there, there, there is a, uh, a devaluing of the role of the man in general, of the man's, uh, seed of the man's semen of, of all of that. Like it, it, it's, it's just, it's just, um, put on the back burner. It's, it's highly devalued. And so, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so anyway, I mean, and I think that, that, that is, you know, it, it lends itself to then people when, when, when people can discredit the, the image bearer, then they can discredit the image that they bear. And so that, that, that then takes it to, well, you know, forget about God. You know, we can kind of, if we throw men out, then we can throw out the the capital F father, right? So we we, we can yeah. throw it throw it all out now. And so I think that's again why it's so so important to really, you know, if you're listening to our episode today, push back on the narrative. When you hear people say stuff like that, do not let that stuff slide because those things are like seeds. The get a little Bible here, but those things are like seeds that land in people's hearts. And you don't realize is that that those seeds don't just stay seeds. They grow up and they bear fruit. And all of a sudden you see why people act and think and have a certain disposition when it pertains to the African-American family, African-American men, African-American fathers. The reason for that goes back to little seeds like this when you hear, oh, yeah, black dads ain't around. And then you just kind of leave it there and, and, and you don't push back on that narrative. Ask them, hey, why do you think that? Where'd you get that from? Who told you exactly. that? You know what I mean? Push push back on that narrative so that that seed does not become a tree in that person's heart. And, you know, one day you they're doing a whole bunch of wild and crazy stuff based on faulty information that might have been given to them, you know, years prior. I was so cons- I was so um, uh, encouraged by the girl dad hashtag. And yeah. uh, especially in the days uh, after Kobe and the other people perished, seeing people who I relate with personally who talk about um, either being a girl dad, a dad of all girls, or having at least one girl, or being the girl that the father um, uh, was so involved with that she remembers having a girl dad. And I I was encouraged to see that so many people had stories and that that hashtag um, was set on what, you know, really took fire and took flight. Um, But then, Essence Magazine, which I don't know what is going on over there, as well as some other people jumped on. Oh, you know what's going on over there. Hashtag. And they said, 
I feel sorry for people who can't say this. And not every dad is a girl dad. And it's like really mm-hmm. not the place that that's not the, what, what yeah. this discussion is about. But yeah. there will always, even some of our formerly reputable uh, publications will jump on it and, and twist it around. And yeah. just like I said, uh, AJ is about challenging that. And that's what I personally do. And I encourage our listeners as well to do that because I had, every time I saw some kind of social media post like that, I uh, made it a point to, to, to push back against that by saying, this is about celebrating men who are really confirming the identity of someone by being a father and and being someone who in their formable years they can look to and be proud of um, and know what to look for and and they can really you know move forward in life with a foundation of of real fatherhood and so it's important that we push back instead of just continuing to allow negativity to push down even even something as positive as a hashtag mm-hmm. formidably formally reputable yes i would agree formally reputable publications <laughs> anyway no I, th- I think eva you, you you make very solid points you know i had to in my own life you know i'll even share some of my own personal experiences um one was how i had to tell a lot of friends and family i mean this th- th- this thing hits home for me personally um because a i come from a broken home you know uh my parents separated when i was a freshman in high school um and i didn't see my dad for probably 20 years after that so um maybe like 15 years um but i remember having my uh my my oldest children uh when when they were younger and you know my wife had to run some errands or go do something or whatever um and i'd be home with my kids and so people would call or you know stop by hey what's going on i'm just here with my kids and they're like oh man you bet you stuck babysitting i'm like babysitting man these are my kids like <laughs> this is not I'm not some some for hire, you know, cat. This these are my children. I'm 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 not stuck babysitting. I'm I'm at home with my children. We're hanging mm. out, you know, we're hang- and it's like but you just to 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 listen to the the mindset of people, it was almost like this default setting of you probably didn't want to be here or you probably did not want to be um involved to the, to this degree. That's like people's default setting. Um, and so it's 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 just again very important to to push back on the narrative. And I remember telling my wife this, and she just kind of got it recently. I used to tell her when the the kids were much younger, like you know infants and toddlers, and we'd be out in public, um, especially when I was by myself. If I was out by myself with the kids in public, and um, like they'd be crying or something would happen to them, and I would just be consoling them, women would come up to me preferably a little older, but women would come up to me and act as if I did not know what I was doing. Strangers, not women I knew. They were just like, watch out, son. You, you don't know what's going on. Baby, come here. Let me talk to you. Let me. And I'm like, ma'am, I don't even know you. What What are you doing right now? And so I would tell my wife these stories and she'd be like, no. I'm like, honey, I'm telling you, this happens to me all the time. And so recently she saw it happen to somebody else, like another guy. And I'm, I, she was telling the story, and I was telling my friends, my husband used to tell me this all the time, and I and I just couldn't believe that that happened. I'm like, now you see what I was saying. It's almost like people see you and assume that you are incapable of fatherness, you know, of of, of fatherliness. 
Mm. Like, like it, you as a black male are incapable of providing what these children need. You need some kind of assistance. Let me jump in and help you. And a lot of times that that came from women. So it's it is very important. I mean, I I can't stress how important it is for all men in general to to push back on the narrative that fathers are buffoons, mm. uh, that you know fathers are are not capable of being good parents. Um, but in particular for African-American men to push back on this narrative that black fathers are not only buffoons or incapable, but that they're also not even present. Um, this this narrative that they're not present or, you know, not involved. I think we have to, you know, actively push back on that narrative because it's it's based on faulty and misinterpreted information. Parenthood is a, a very important journey, um, but that parenthood includes two people, not just mothers. It also includes fathers as well. So y'all know whether we're talking basketball, untimely deaths, or fatherhood, you know we're going to keep God in the mix. So we do thank y'all for rocking with us once again. For Eve and A. Sizzle, this is AJ saying peace. Sons of God, they the ones who done left the yard. When they come in, son, they rep hard. Sin, I know fun in their squad. There they go, they the sons of God.